what do you do when you're angry? (laughs) I heard about one couple, husband said to his wife, honey, every time we fight and I lash out at you, you keep your cool. It's incredible. How do you do it? Wife said, well, I, I just go clean the toilets. Husband said, clean the toilets? How in the world does that help? Wife said, well, I I use your toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do when you're angry? Now, when I was growing up, I pretty much got along with everybody. Everybody, that is, except my little sister. Uh, My sister, Lydia, is two years younger than me. And when we were friends, we were great friends. But when we weren't friends, we were mortal enemies. And my favorite hobby was picking on my little sister, Lydia. I loved it. Now, I remember one time in high school, one day, I heard that another kid in school had called my sister, Lydia, fat. And I was furious. Lydia and I may not have always gotten along, but nobody else was allowed to pick on her. That was my job. And I knew who this kid was. I was livid. I was so angry. I knew who this kid was. He was bigger than me. He was taller than me, but I was pretty sure I could take him. And one day I saw this kid walking down towards me in the hallway and I walked up to him. I looked him in the eye. I grabbed him by his shirt and I decked him in the mouth. Totally kidding. I didn't do that. (laughs) But man, I wanted to. And I did it in my head like a thousand times. I'm more of like a bury it and suppress it kind of guy with my anger. What do you do? when you're angry. Uh, My guess is that uh, if you're anything like me, a lot of you are like the Hulk. You guys know the Hulk, right? Superhero, the Avenger, big green guy, yeah. Uh, He's shy, mild-mannered scientist Bruce Banner when he's in a good mood. But if you get him angry, he quickly morphs into this gigantic green, car-smashing, tower-leaping, bad guy, demolishing green monster of senseless rage. And you all look pretty good right now. Dressed in your Sunday clothes, all smiley, shaking each other's hands. You all look good. But my guess is that if we saw each other in our worst moments, we'd look a little bit more like the Hulk than Bruce Banner. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. You you might wake up on a nice Bruce Banner type of day, but then somebody pushes your buttons, hits your trigger, flips your switch, grinds your gears, and pretty quickly the Hulk comes out. Some of you walked down the aisle and you thought you married Bruce Banner. But a few weeks in, the Hulk came out. And some of you work for Bruce Banner, but then if you're a few minutes late or if you fill out a report a little bit wrong, the Hulk comes out. And some of you gave birth to this nice, sweet, cute, cuddly little Bruce Banner. And then Bruce Banner starts cutting teeth and turns into the Hulk. (laughs) And my guess is that a lot of you in here today, you look good, you really do. I'm not just saying that. You look like Bruce Banner, but my guess is you might be able to trick the people around you in church into thinking that you have your life all together when really last night or tonight or maybe even on the way here this morning, you were a little more hulkish than you'd like people to know. I was. So what do you do when you're angry? I'm a bottler of my anger. I stuff my anger. And my guess is that some of you have tried this too. It doesn't work, does it? No, an article in the New York Times suggests that anger, perpetual frustration, and bitterness is actually damaging to your body. Chronic anger is more likely to lead you to an early death than cigarette smoking, obesity, or a high-fat diet. In other words, better to be fat and happy than healthy and hacked off. (laughs) 
50 years ago, the industrialists thought that they could just take the toxic waste from their factories and dump it into a stream and it would be long gone or they could bury it and pretend like it wasn't there. No harm, no foul. But we've quickly learned that that's not the case, is it? No, that that toxic waste, it contaminates the water table, it kills animals, it harms our health, it hurts the environment. And the same thing is true of your anger. When you bury your anger, it's toxic. It distorts your personality, it taints your relationship, it wreaks havoc on your faith. So what do you do when you're angry? If you're a Christian today, my guess is that you might even be a little bit afraid, a little bit uncomfortable to even admit when you're angry because we don't think it's very godly to show our anger. So instead, we deny our anger. No, no, I'm not angry. I'm fine. I've done that lots. But then I come to the Psalms, and the Psalms expose me. A few years ago, I was part of a discipleship group where I was challenged to begin praying through the Psalms. And I began to pray at least one Psalm every single day, and I still do. And it's been one of the most formative spiritual disciplines in my life. And the Psalms are absolutely incredible. They're inspired by God like every other book of the Bible, but the other 65 books of the Bible are words from God to us. But the Psalms are words from us to God. They're prayers and songs that we cry out to God with. The Psalms are the prayer journal of some of the fathers of our faith, people like David and Solomon and Moses. We get to eavesdrop on their prayer lives and actually pray alongside of them. And as I began my journey of praying the Psalms, it didn't take me long to discover that these things are roller coasters of emotions. I mean, you don't have to get very far in before you find fear and joy and peace and paranoia, and hatred, and giddiness, and faith, and praise, and sadness, and desperation, and fierce anger. There are these kinds of psalms called the imprecatory psalms. It's where the psalmist, the person who's writing the psalm, is actually praying against their enemies. And as soon as I started praying the psalms, and still to this day, I have trouble praying those imprecatory psalms. Because in these psalms, the psalmist walks into his prayer closet and he slams the door behind him and he's just mad. And he says things like in Psalm 58, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Wow, I don't know how to pray that. I don't feel that against you guys, I promise. It's, 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 it's violent. It's, it seems so raw. And it is. But let's be honest with each other here for just a second. Who in here has not had an anger fantasy? About somebody getting what they deserve. About that person that hurt me finally getting hurt themselves. And the Psalms sometimes seem violent, but that's what our anger is. And so the first thing that we learn about how to pray our anger from the Psalms is take off your mask. Take off your mask. Because the Psalms, they throw away all pretense. They don't stuff their anger or pretend like it's not there. They teach us that prayer is not about coming to God as some kind of nice, tidy, clean person that you're pretending to be. Prayer is not about bringing to God who you think you should be. Prayer is about bringing to God who you actually are. 
Take off your mask. So today, if you're angry, bring it to God. He's a big boy. He can handle your anger. You're not going to rock him. And some of you today, the first thing you did when you walked in those doors was you put on a mask. You put on your smile, you put on your nice clothes, you greeted the people around you. You don't want people to know what's really going on inside. Some of you today still have a deep, simmering rage in your gut. Feels a little bit like the Hulk, but you're still trying to pretend you look like Bruce Banner. So what do you do when you're angry? You take off your mask. I want to take a look today at the most shocking psalm of all, Psalm 137. Open your Bibles there with me, Psalm 137. As you turn in your Bibles, here's the situation of Psalm 137. God's people, the nation of Israel, have split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And both of these kingdoms have disobeyed God. They've refused to follow God's law. They've chased after other gods instead. And so after decades and decades of patience, God decides to send foreign armies to conquer these kingdoms as punishment for their disobedience and a wake-up call to turn back to him. And so Judah, this southern kingdom, is conquered by the empire of Babylon. And the leading citizens of Judah are all exiled. They're taken away from their homeland. They're sent to Babylon. And these people, I mean, they've seen their home city of Jerusalem looted and pillaged and burned by enemy soldiers. They've seen their friends and their family killed. And now they've been taken to work and to live in a foreign city, far from home, a city that has no regard for their God. And so this community, this small little group of brokenhearted exiles in Babylon, they go down to the riverside there in Babylon to mourn, to sit down and to weep over the home that they've lost. And these are the words that they sang. Let's just read the whole thing, verses one through nine. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It would be appropriate to gasp here. (laughs) Wow. There's no mask there. You might remember that the psalms were songs that these people sung in corporate worship. Can you imagine singing this? Can you imagine teaching this song to your kids? Dash those babies' heads against the rocks. (laughs) What in the world is going on here? (laughs) Let's take it chunk by chunk, just verse by verse here. Let's read the first three. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
So you got to remember that when they were back in their homeland, the Jews would travel up to Jerusalem at least three times a year for these festivals, these celebrations. And as they would go up to Mount Zion, the temple mount, where the temple was, which is the symbol of God's presence on earth, it was where he dwelt among them, it was his blessing on his people. And as they walked up Mount Zion, they would sing these psalms to God. They would sing these psalms of victory, of God's strength, of his goodness, of his blessing and protection on his people. But now, in Babylon... Their harps have been hung up, their songs suspended because Jerusalem and the temple have fallen. They've been conquered. There's no reason to celebrate. And to add insult to injury, their Babylonian captors come up to them saying, hey, (laughs) sing us one of the songs about your one true God. You over there in chains, uh, sing sing us one of those songs about how God always delivers you from your enemies. You over there doing our dirty work. Yeah, sing us one of those songs about how you're the light of the world. We're all ears. And when you're beat down, I mean, when you're defeated or perplexed or grieving or just mad, sometimes the last thing you want to do is sing. Maybe you're feeling that today. Verses four through six. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So the Jews, they refuse to sing, but they also refuse to forget Jerusalem, their homeland, and they're begging God to remember it too. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So the Jews, they they, they pray their anger. They beg God to repay their enemies, the Edomites, those people who cheered when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, saying, tear it down. And then they pray against Babylon. Babylon. The ones who attacked their cities and killed their families and decimated their homeland. Happy is the one who did to them what they did to us. Happy is the one who takes their babies and smashes them against the rocks. And we're horrified by this, aren't we? And we should be. This is one of the most shocking images in the entire Bible. How could you pray something like that? Maybe we're horrified because we haven't experienced raw evil like the Israelites did. Most of the evil that I experience on a daily basis is like a one or a two on the evil scale. I push the button for the elevator and it stops at like four more floors on its way down to me and I get annoyed and impatient. Or maybe your spouse snaps at you because of something you forgot to do. Or somebody cuts you off in traffic and then proceeds to let you know that you're number one. (laughs) That's pretty far down on the evil scale, right? You wouldn't dream of praying something like this after something like that. But some of you have experienced evil higher up on the scale. A spouse who cheats on you, or a marriage that falls apart, or a business deal gone bad when you were cheated, or somebody lied to you, stabbed you in the back. Maybe you've been abused verbally, physically, sexually. You've experienced pain, evil higher up on the scale, and you're angry. But even then, you've probably never prayed a prayer like this before. But the evil that God's people experienced, I've never experienced anything like that. 
I've never seen my city burned, my religion defiled. I've never seen my wife ravaged, my children mutilated, my family shredded to pieces, killed or sold. That kind of hostility is off the scale. I've never had the desire to bash in the head of somebody's baby, but I've also never seen my children lined up to be sold into slavery. I've never seen my friends lined up and beheaded for their faith. I've never seen my wife beaten and raped and killed before my eyes because I refused to deny the name of Jesus. And that's the reality that many of our Christian brothers and sisters are living with even today. And that should make you angry. Anger is a natural response to injustice. I dare say that anger is even a necessary response to injustice. Our anger acknowledges that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. So what do you do when you're angry? Well, the first thing is you, you take off your mask like God's people did. You take it to God in prayer. You stop pretending and you let him have who you really are. Take off your mask. That's the first thing. Uh, one day when I was 12 years old, my dad came home from work and my mom met him at the door and said, you need to talk to your son. <laughs> your son, that's when you know it's bad, <laughs> okay? Now, I am the oldest of six kids and as the oldest, it is my God-given right and responsibility to tell my five younger siblings what to do. Uh, I kind of thought of myself as the third parent. I was the long arm of the law in the house. When dad's gone, Luke is the man of the house. That's how it works, Right? Well, that particular day, one of my siblings had done something wrong. I don't remember what, but I took it upon myself to administer justice. And so I spanked them. <laughs> and my mom had my dad come back to communicate to me very clearly that that was not okay. So my dad sat me down. He said, all right, here's the deal, Luke. Our family's like a town, like an actual town. <laughs> and I, Luke, am the sheriff your mom is the deputy, and you, Luke, are a citizen. So, Luke, when you see a fellow citizen doing something wrong, your job is to tell the sheriff. If the sheriff's not around, go tell your mom. Go tell the deputy. Your job is not to take vigilante justice into your own hands. There are no citizen's arrests in this town. Tell the sheriff. Got it? <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. And then my dad went off to work for the evening. He had some stuff to do. And by the time he got back uh, to the house, it was late, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Everything's dark on the insides. So my dad's, you know, feeling his way through the dark down the hallway. He gets to his room and his hand brushes across his pillow and he feels something small and plastic on the pillow. What in the world? But he takes it back out into the hallway, flips on the light. And there in his hand is a small plastic sheriff's badge <laughs> with a note on it from me. It said, dear dad, I never knew a sheriff without a badge. Love, Luke. <laughs> and that's what we're doing when we pray our anger. We are putting the responsibility for justice back in the hands of the right person. So when you pray your anger, take off your mask and hand over your badge. Hand over your badge. I have two little brothers except they aren't little, they both tower over me. Their names are Carl and Conrad. And Carl and Conrad are basically like Siamese twins, okay? They are attached at the hip everywhere they go. I mean, if you separated the two of them, I don't think they could think as individuals. Um, but like any siblings, even though they are best friends, they fight a lot. And my goodness, when the two of them get to fighting, it is like the clash of the titans. I learned very quickly not to try to step into the middle of one of their fights, because if I do, I will get crushed like a pop can, so I just sit back and enjoy the show. 
Uh, so when my brothers would start to fighting and the whole house would be shaking and stuff, my mom had this routine with them. She'd call them down and she forced them to memorize James chapter one, verses 19 and 20. She'd look at them, say it, boys. <laughs> They'd roll their eyes and grumble. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. <laughs> In other words, your anger won't fix the problem. Man's anger never makes things right. But God's anger always does. And when we hand over our badge, we learn to rest in God's wrath. Now that sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? We don't talk about God's wrath very often. It's not a very popular topic. If you drive around town, you'll see a lot of churches. You might see a church called, you know, First Church of God's Love or Grace Church. And that's fine and good. That's great. But I've never driven by a church that said, First Church of God's Wrath. We don't talk about that very much. We don't sing, Jesus shoves me this I know. But as Christians, we can learn to rest in God's wrath. His divine anger at injustice. Because anger and love are just opposite sides of the same coin. C.S. Lewis says that anger is the fluid love bleeds when you cut it. Some of you in here today are hurting. You're in pain. You are a victim of injustice. And you know what it feels like to cry out, Jesus, if you love me at all, you've got to do something about this. You can rest in God's wrath, knowing that Jesus sees the sin and the death and the hurt and the pain in this world, and he will not do nothing. So when we hand over the badge in prayer, when we turn our anger over to God, we're allowing him to act as he sees fit, because God is the righteous judge of the living and the dead, and you are not, so don't try to do his job. If you're wrestling with, with anger or you're feeling bitterness or resentment or if you have a temper problem, I'd encourage you to memorize this verse. I, I did when I was a kid. Uh, my mom made me. Um, <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So when you're angry, don't sin. That means most often for me that I need to turn over the badge. I need to trust God to deal with the situation. Uh, back in Psalm 137 here, you'll notice that the psalmist does not say, I'm going to smash their babies against the rocks. He doesn't even say, Lord, give me the strength to repay them for what they did. No, he, he hands over the badge. He says, God, remember what they did. In other words, you deal with this as you see fit. You bring justice. You're the sheriff. God is the only one with the perfect power to bring justice because only he is strong enough to make right every wrong in history. God is the only one with perfect knowledge to bring justice because only he can see the full story in every situation. God is the only one with the perfect right to bring justice because the earth is his and everything in it. God is the only one with the perfect character to bring justice because he alone is truly just. So the answer to your problem, the solution that you're seeking to your anger, it may not end up looking like what you want it to look like, but you can hand over the bad badge to God knowing that he always makes the right decision. God always does the right thing. You can trust him. Hand over the badge. And handing over the badge, I think most often looks like Romans chapter 12. 
verses 17 through 21. I'm just going to let these verses speak for themselves. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, here's our job. If, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's tough. So how do we do that when, when we're angry or when the situation's unfair? Well, we follow the example of Jesus who said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And actually, if you don't forgive other people, God won't forgive you. In the year 1960, a little girl named Ruby Bridges was the first to cross the color barrier uh, by attending an all-white school. She was only six years old. And on her first day, hundreds of protesters gathered outside as Ruby walked into the school. She was the only black student in a school full of prejudice. People spit on her. They cursed at her. They threatened her very life. One protester even carried a little black doll in a coffin. And amazingly, through all this, this little six-year-old girl, Ruby didn't seem to be angry or bitter or depressed. One morning, Ruby's teacher saw Ruby stop in front of this angry mob screaming at her. And she saw Ruby's lips moving. And when asked later what she was saying to the crowd, Ruby responded, I wasn't talking to them. I was praying for them. Ruby later wrote, my mother and our pastor always said, you have to pray for your enemies and the people who do you wrong. And that's what I did. And as Ruby took off her mask and handed over the badge to God in prayer, it ultimately allowed her to be free from anger. And you can be free from anger too. Because ultimately, God has already responded to evil. He has already addressed the situation that you're in. He's already responded to injustice. All the punishment that the person that you're angry at deserves, all that punishment. Uh, the, the woman who lied about you, the bully who hurt you, the father who abused you, the mother who belittled you, the ex who slanders you, the person who stole from you, all the punishment for all those people and all the injustice throughout all of history was taken by Jesus. And in your situation, you might be thinking, no, but somebody needs to pay for this. Somebody did. God's little one was dashed against the rocks of death to take the punishment that you and I deserved. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, now we have the hope of heaven. So we can take off our mask. If we're angry today, you can tell God about it. You can hand over the badge. You can trust God to take care of it. And you can know that because of Jesus Christ's death on your behalf, you can have the hope of heaven if you follow him. And because at the end of time, the scales of justice will be balanced and God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and everything that's wrong, he's gonna make it right again. And in the meantime, while we wait, pray your anger, take off your mask and hand over your badge. Let's pray. I want you to think of the person that you're angry at. 
If there's any bitterness or resentment or anger or unforgiveness about a person or a situation in your life, bring it to the surface right now. Father God, you know the person in the minds of everyone here. You know the situations we're in. You know our hurt. You know our pain. You know our anger. Father, we're taking off our mask right now. We're letting you see the darkness inside of us. We hand this situation to you. And we're gonna hand over our badge too. And ultimately, Lord, we know that justice, we don't know what it's gonna look like. We don't know when it's gonna come. We don't know how you're gonna do it, but we trust you to do it in the best way. So Father, we hand over these people, these situations to you, and we ask you to do what is best. And we ask you to fill us with the spirit of Jesus Christ, who even as he was being nailed to the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So with the same radical mercy that we've been shown, the same senseless grace that has been lavished upon us, empower us to be people who love showing mercy when it's undeserved, and who are in a hurry to show grace, even when other people don't deserve it. We need you for that, we need your spirit. And we're grateful that that's the same kind of grace that we've been shown. Thank you. Teach us to forgive. And we can't wait till the day when you return and make it all right. In Jesus' name, amen.